0: Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Zhong, and welcome to True the Noise Podcast. All-time high is probably the most used phrase in the past week. After posting a new record high for the first time in two years last Friday, S&P 500 continue to notch fresh all-time highs in the last four trading days. Naturally, the question to ask is if this new all-time high streak is going to continue. To discuss this and more, I'm joined by Manpreet Gill, our Chief Investment Officer for Africa, Middle East and Europe. Hello Manpreet, let's address the white elephant in the room. Are we going to see the U.S. stock market rally continue going forward? And how
0: could the investors be positioned for it? Hi, Jong. Um, Well, indeed, we've seen quite a rally in the S&P 500. um, And what the result of that has been is that the S&P has broken above a major technical resistance, which, of course, was the record high of 2022. Now, there are a few key drivers of why this occurred. First, of course, we've had more than 80% of S&P 500 companies that have reported so far have actually beaten uh, earnings estimates. Second, of course, we've had stronger than expected business confidence data for January. Uh, That, of course, suggesting manufacturing is seeing a recovery from last year's recession globally and services remains healthy. And finally, of course, we had the stronger than expected U.S. GDP number uh, for the fourth quarter of 2023. Now, I think these, of course, set a a very strong baseline uh, for the equity market. Uh, We do have a bit of a concern over the short term uh, because our our, our proprietary measure of investor diversity, uh, our fractals, they are flagging a a relatively high risk of a reversal in not only global equities, but equity markets in the U.S., Euro area um, Um, and several emerging markets, as well as uh, developed market high-yield bonds. Um, We're also seeing some similar measures uh, suggesting, you know, higher-than-usual risk of reversal um, in several equity sectors, uh, like technology, communication services, um, and real estate, more so in the U.S. and Europe. So, it's really this point about, you know, strong data as the context, but some of the investor positioning looking a little stretched in the short term. Now, to your point on what should investors do with this information, uh, we while we do see a higher risk of a near-term pullback, we believe that uh, for investors who have actually been invested through the rally, uh, it may be prudent to trim a little bit of the profits. And that doesn't mean getting out of the market altogether, but you know, our message is more one of rebalancing, um, which allows you to, of course, trim some of the profits uh, that, that have already been realized. Longer term, of course, at least in the early part of 24, uh, let's not forget we're still constructive on risk assets, uh, particularly if inflation uh, continues to move in the right direction. Um, of course, you know, for investors who perhaps have not been able to fully take advantage of the rally so far, any sort of short-term pullback would be a great opportunity uh, to start to rebuild exposure. And just for context, key technical levels on the S&P 500 um, below today's levels, of course, are 4.740, followed by around 4.550 5, and
1: 4.400. Over at China, we saw a sharp rebound in the stock market this week, following a slew of supportive policy announcements. What are your thoughts on the latest round of policy easing?
0: Well, in our view, some of the measures we've got should improve investor confidence uh, and support both China and Hong Kong equity markets at least in the short term. Now, the context here is that valuations remain quite depressed. I mean, if you take the MSCI China Index for example, it's trading about a little over one standard deviation below its historical average valuation, and investor positioning, as we know, is quite light. Um, so, in the short term, of course, these factors uh, make the market quite sensitive to the upside to to any uh, good news such as the policy measures we've seen. That said, of course, the continued presence of long-term uncertainty about the growth outlook may eventually uh, end up limiting equity market gains. Um, you know, we've seen some downside surprise, of course, since we're still seeing uh, rather some downside surprise in macro data points, uh, perhaps most recently in, in some of the GDP, property investment and retail sales data. Um, and this, of course, could, could end up capping uh, any rally in cyclical stocks. Um, and second, of course, we still have some background uncertainty on the geopolitical and regulatory fronts uh, that could limit the extent of foreign fund uh, inflows. Now, that's, of course, on the equity market when it comes to China dollar bonds, which are the other risk-sensitive asset class. Um, it's a similar story where we see recent policy announcements as supportive, um, but of course, perhaps in, possibly insufficient to cause a meaningful and longer lasting uh, tightening of yield premiums. So it's really, over the, in this asset class, we're really looking for interest rate-sensitive bond sectors like financials or, or state-owned asset managers. These are examples of sectors which may benefit more so uh, from what, has been a widening of net interest margins and lower deposit rates. So within Asia dollar bonds, of course, while we have a moderate preference for high yield over an investment grade, uh, you know, we'd we'd see that more as, um, you know, benefiting the former from higher yields and what was historical price weakness rather than a big rebound, um, you know, uh, from the policy measures. And of course, this comes in an overall context where we have a neutral, or a core-holding view on China equities uh, within Asia and Japan, and a neutral view on Asia dollar bonds within global bonds.
1: Let's discuss a downside risk to this bullish stock market, and that is the mounting
0: tension in the Red Sea. How would that impact the markets? Well, it's interesting that history shows us that most geopolitical events end up having a relatively temporary impact on markets. So you get a short-term rise in volatility in the short term, but you tend to see usually a a limited long-term impact. Uh, And my favorite example here is South Korea's KOSPI index, where we've had several decades of tensions on the the Korean Peninsula, but the index impact has tended to be more one of short-term volatility. Occasionally, of course, we can have an event that has a more long-lasting impact, such as what we witnessed uh, with the Ukraine conflict, which ended up impacting markets via gas prices. Now, when we think about what's going on in the Red Sea uh, and the tensions there, this framework can be helpful. Uh, the concern here, of course, is that higher shipping costs eventually feed through to higher U.S. inflation as the shipping delays themselves start adding adding to costs. For now, we'd really view this as more of a risk scenario rather than a central scenario, given that you know military conflict thus far has remained uh, geographically limited. Uh, the only factor we'd want to watch for is what we call a boiling frog syndrome, where a conflict to spread gradually uh, and create significant supply disruptions. Uh, so that's a risk we'll be keeping a close watch on. On crude oil specifically, uh, we do expect the geopolitical risk premium to fade under our central scenario. Um, and of course, we note that you know, the next support for WTI oil is at $70 uh, per barrel. That said, uh, nothing wrong in hedging against the risks. Uh, and you know, roots investors can consider, of course, are energy sector equities uh, in terms of hedging by getting exposure to oil prices. And on the inflation risk, we do believe U.S. inflation-protected government bonds uh, do seem inexpensive at this point in time.
1: Lastly, we have updated our three-month currency views. Can you just walk us through what are some of the key changes?
0: Sure. Um, I, I, I'd urge maybe listeners to take a more detailed look at our publications for some of the details, but a few which I think are worth highlighting given the central bank uh, context we've seen over the past month or so. Uh, first is on dollar-yen. Uh, where we expect to move lower to 140 over the next three months. I think here what's interesting is that while Governor Ueda, BOJ Governor Ueda, has said that policy is unlikely to be tightened until wage growth increases, uh, he did suggest that any shift in policy was only a matter of time. Um, and what we'll be keeping a close watch on is Japan's spring wage talks, uh, which of course start in March. Um, so that's, I think, we it's in our view, sufficient to drive a, um, a significant move lower in dollar-yen over the next three months. Another currency I'd highlight, of course, is the euro, uh, because here we've, of course, had the ECB key policy rates unchanged. Um, and, you know, while the you know, markets are actually still debating whether we get a rate cut in June or potentially sooner than that, uh, we do expect near-term interest rate differential to support euro-dollar and expect the pair to rise uh, to about 1.1 in three months' time. Um, and the context here, of course, is, you know, it's not just about what's going on in Europe, Um we do think the dollar here, of course, is quite an important uh, factor for this pair as well. And on the dollar index, of course, we expect uh, you know the, the DXY to be largely range bound um, you know, if we don't get any significant surprises uh, from the ECB uh, or the Fed. Uh, the last one I'd highlight perhaps is the Aussie dollar. Uh, we have had some concerns, of course, about sticky wage growth uh, in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, and that's why we think the Reserve Bank of Australia Indeed, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand could keep rates elevated uh, for longer than other major central banks, um, and that's why we're looking for uh, the Aussie dollar to rise to about sixty-seven cents against the US dollar uh, over the next three months. So, those I think are the highlights. Uh, but I think for a more detailed uh, discussion of you know the larger universe of three-month views, uh, of course, have a look at our weekly uh, where we have much more on this.
1: Thank you for the insightful discussion, memory. Before we wrap up, a few key things to highlight from this week's podcast. One, the high risk of a near-term pullback makes it prudent for investors to take some profits. And from a, court, a portfolio context, this would mean rebalancing allocation by reducing any excessive exposure to risk assets, averaging into some of the safe havens where yields have turned a bit more attractive after the recent rebound. Two, the supportive measures in China should improve investors' confidence and support both the equity and bond markets, at least in the near term. Three, the concern surrounding the Red Sea tensions is that higher shipping costs feed through to higher US inflation. But for now, we continue to see this more as a risk scenario rather than a central scenario given direct military conflict remains geographically limited. That's all that we have for this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Have a wonderful weekend ahead. we will speak again next week.
0: Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more details, visit Market Views on the go on our website or click the link in the description.